All right, we're back for the final quarter, the final countdown. You know, I regretted saying that the second the words left my mouth, and then a second later there were the opening notes, and I regretted it even more. Thank you, GJ. That's what I do. Musical supervisor, Glenn Jamison. Alrighty, we're going to jump straight back into it. Yes. Um, All-Australian team was something of a dog's breakfast last season. There were a number of players in there who probably didn't earn their spot on on merit based on their performance throughout the year. But this year, who do you think is a player who will make the All-Australian team for the first time? And I will put a caveat on it that it has to be someone who has earned their spot based on their performances rather than a uh, Demetrio. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, it was very interesting last year. I think there were 14 first-time All-Australians, something ridiculous like that. It was Mm. a really high number. And some of those were, uh, well, in the case of someone like Luke McFarlane, certainly well overdue. Yep. Uh, and then some that maybe not so much. I think the the thing you have to think about with um, when it comes to all Australian selection is is that some positions are going to be a lot harder to get into than others. So probably the easiest positions to get into relative to the number of people that play those positions are are your your rucks, your key defenders, and potentially key forwards, just in terms mm. of numbers. I so think I even, I, I even think key forwards they'll just be predicated on yeah. goal scores. Well, so. I was going to say I think the key. I was about to say I think the key forwards you can generally lock and load certain candidates in and around that mark. Mm. So you, the argument that I have is is that it's it's going to be there aren't too many really high quality midfielders these days who haven't already made an All-Australian team in some way, shape or form. So you kind of, I think you're kind of looking at um, either a Ruckman or a key defender. I'm going to take the easy way out and pick the guy who should have been picked as the first Ruckman last year, Sam Jacobs. I think he might get a, if his if his season is as good as it was last year, yep. he'll get he'll just get picked purely because he didn't get picked last year when he should have. Yeah, Matthew Pavlich hopes the same thing happens. <laughs> Yeah, I think, well, those were the two real howlers, weren't they? I mean, Pavlich missing out for Hawkins and, and yeah. Sam Jacob not getting out again. Yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as I saw uh, I saw that Cox had been named in the forward pocket, I knew they'd pick Nat Nui in the ruck. And whilst I understand that sentiment, Nat Nui's impact on I, games. The games were, I mean, he, he put, Nat Nui will play 14 really good games. So you can understand it from that perspective. But, like, I, I just thought that he doesn't really play. He plays as the number one Ruckman, but not in the way that, um, that you know, 15 of this, well, 15, maybe even 17 of the 18 teams yeah. work their Ruck. So... I mean, my biggest problem with that was that I thought Cox was our best Ruckman last year in terms of the two West Coast Ruckman. no. He wasn't. That's that's one of the misnomers that people have. People people jump to that conclusion based on the North Melbourne game, where he in the last quarter he won it single handedly. But in there were other games last year where Nat Nui's impact on, on the game was much greater than Cox's was. And when I hate trying to revert it back to, to these types of numbers, but when you look at the, the champion data rankings, you'll find that Nat Nui ranks a lot higher than Cox did. Yeah. So right. I, 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 don't think, have, I just think in terms I don't of have a, traditional... I don't have a I don't have a problem with that. The problem I had was that I thought they picked apples and oranges. We're, we're, pick, we're, we're picking two guys based on a structure that one of the 18 teams uses. Um, so 
Yeah. No, I just think in terms of the traditional ruck role, Cox still has a slight edge there. Across the entire ground, Natanui probably has a bigger impact, but well, just as the sort of... You know, I mean, Nat, the, the biggest mistake that everybody makes with Natanui, and, you know, it's the way that you, you choose to view football, it's always a good way to understand who you should listen to and who you shouldn't, is to ask them what they think of Nick Natanui. People who are obsessed by numbers will tell you that he doesn't do enough. People who understand the impact around the game will tell you that he's underrated so I just think that he's never going to be a guy that you measure based on the numbers sorry I'm just frantically trying to load his numbers as we speak (laughs) but but, uh, for me it's for me it's Sam Jacobs Uh, I think that he'll get in there my smoky for um, for that is actually Eric McKenzie of the West Coast Eagles, who has been taking the best mm. defender, uh, sorry, been taking the best forward now for probably eighteen months. Has probably only really been beaten twice during that time, and um, seems to be getting better and better every year. So yeah, he's I mean he's one who comes to mind as someone who will start getting a lot more recognition now that Glass is entering. And the I last think that that's 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 so. part of the reason why. I'm, I would put him there. So. It's still quite hard for a for a key defender to, to jag that sort of key though. So. Yeah. Well, there's there's only two of them, but the beauty of it is is that you're you're actually only competing with two people versus the midfielders, where there's a lot more midfielders and you're competing with a lot of other quality. The the quality at those levels is actually very different. So. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> now the biggest problem I have is that I'm not. I'm not sure who has or hasn't made an All-Australian team yeah. <laughs> in terms of the players. I'm, look, I think I'm going to go Stephen Hill purely because having Daniel Pierce come on board just means that there is going to be one more player for the opposition coaches to have to worry about tagging yeah. in terms of their speed more than anything else. And I just think there's, yeah, that that new player in particular really has, a, has a, the potential to free Stephen Hill up. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it helps that he's in a very good team as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll go with that. Well, Hill hasn't Hill hasn't made an all Australian oh, team, good. so you can't so say that. I'm, I'm halfway there already. Then, <laughs> okay, okay. For the second question in the quarter, it will be who will be the big slider this year? North Melbourne. Although I mean Sydney will. I don't see Sydney winning the premiership this year. So you'd argue that anything from them is a slide. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> um, so you know, if they slide from one to say four or five, you could you could theoretically argue that that's a big slide for them. Hawthorne are at risk of being a, a slider, I think. But mm. uh, I see. I, I'd be shocked if North made the eight. So yeah, um, yeah, North for me. Yeah, I'm just trying to Melbourne, Port Adelaide, and the Western Bulldogs who finished the highest because <laughs> therefore <laughs> they'll have the the greatest <laughs> potential to fall. Yeah. So yeah, whichever one of those teams finished highest last year, let's go with that. Yeah. Um, all right. So now that we're leading up into the season proper, um, a lot of people don't think the NAB Cup counts for a pinch of shit. But yeah, assuming you can count me in that in that pile. Right. Yes. Well, momentarily assuming that it does. Who do you think had the most successful off season? Well, I'm not. I'm actually not going to refer to the NAB Cup. I'm going to talk about the off season in its entirety, and it's Collingwood without a shadow of a doubt. Oh, if we're including that, then yeah. yes, God, yeah. Any time you can lifting the doors shadow from upon their soul. I mean, <laughs> the fact that they uh, that they traded away two guys who were, to be honest, where they were were fringe twenty-two players and got 
first round picks for both of them, mm. and then managed to find guys who were probably better suited to fill the roles of those guys through free agency without really giving up anything. And um, yeah, I just thought that that was um, that that was great. Bad enough they get a rigged draw, now they get all these yeah. freebies during the off season so, as well. A great build for the now and for the future because they use those two picks very wisely as well. So mm. yeah. yeah, no, I think I think that's probably a fair call. I mean, there are a couple of teams. Who sort of you look at them and you say, oh yeah, they might show a bit more spunk this year. But certainly, if you're including all the trades and yeah, the, the player yeah. movements and everything that came before it, then yeah, no one can come close to, to Collingwood's offseason. And from that, noble segue straight into who will win more games this year. And this is a GJ. What were you on when you wrote this question? Well, Collingwood or Carlton? It's not exactly a fair comparison. Couldn't we have compared Collingwood to one of the other top teams? Collingwood like Carlton likes to compare themselves to Collingwood. Collingwood likes to compare themselves to Carlton. Well, anyway, I, I'm I going to give this question the amount of time it uh, it warrants. Let's Collingwood just, will win a lot more. Yeah, let's just say Collingwood and move on. Yeah. <laughs> Malthouse will not be pleased. All right, and we're going to stay on this Collingwood theme. Lots of possessions, minimal hurt factor, but I'm not Dane Swan. Who am I? So by minimal hurt factor, it means a lot of meaningless possessions. Yep. So what what I oh, what I like to call the uh, the Nick Del Santo specials from back in the day, where for about five seasons in a row there, he topped the possession counts across the AFL, but had bugger all well, to show for them. Joel Bowden was the uh, the perfect example of it. Who would uh, oh, get get thirty possessions because you kick the ball sideways twenty five. Bowden <laughs> at least had to play on an opponent every now and then. Oh yeah, yeah. Two times it happened to Del Santo. Five I was going to say, uh, you know, he was once shocked and incoherent. Once a year, I think Jonathan Brown kicked eight on him one day. But um, uh, I'm going to go with the two mats: Matthew Boyd and Matthew Prittis. All right. So in Boyd's case, that's more a function of the team that we play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Boyd, and okay, it's, it's just completely a function. It's just more. It's just more because Boyd gets all his ball inside. In his case, Prittis, it's because Prittis is a ball butcher of Brad Ebert type. Quite oh, hang times. on! Don't go saying something you can't take back. <laughs> no, Prittis. Prittis. Is is very creative with his hands. It's just that he's kicking, particularly when he's trying to kick to a secondary target. It's uh, it's not really of an AFL quality. Although I get the sneaking suspicion that towards the end of the year, Kane Mitchell might be falling into this category as well. Fair enough. Um, look, the one I can think of straight away is someone like Nathan Jones. Similar reasons for Boyd is that he he tries his heart out and he does win a lot of the ball, but mm. whether that's enough to get his team. Even even close to competing a lot of the weeks is, yeah, remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, the other one, well, you can probably say is, is someone like uh, Callum Ward, I suppose, for GWS, who, again, can rack up a lot of, you know, in and under touches, but, yeah, it doesn't really have much impact. Yeah. Let's go with those two. Yeah. Alrighty, another hypothetical. A player has kicked 30 goals over the last five weeks without playing on Ryan Schoenmakers. Let's just throw that in there. <laughs> so, otherwise, so otherwise, to... otherwise Tomo Hawk would have done it in I'm just, I'm just going to say, so we're moving to get to, uh, to Hawthorne players, are we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is probably fair enough, because Franklin, you'd have to think, would be right in the mix, wouldn't he? Mm. Particularly if well, he gets 13 in a game. Don't. Oh, well, we've got the soundbite for that. Just, just uh, Listeners, we apologise, but here it is one more time. Hutto spraying semen all over the shoes of his co-commentators. 13! 13! 
Um, look, the one I will go, in, and this is based on his um, ridiculous finish to last season, is Matthew Pavlich, because I think particularly when it's a situation where it's do or die for Fremantle, Matthew Pavlich always comes to the fore, and I think towards the business end of um, this season, when mm. Freer are potentially playing for a top four spot, he is someone who will, yeah. And I think the good thing about Lyon and the way he coaches and structures is if, if Matty Pavlich has got a mismatch, he'll clear out yeah. and give him, all, give him the entire forward 50 to work with. Yeah. So uh, I think that, yeah, he's a good one. The, I'm going to pick Jack Rewall, a little bit of a strange one, because he, he's one of these guys who has these five or six week bursts at times where he's just absolutely insane and he'll kick like six or seven every week. He might do nothing for 12 weeks, but over the other 10, he might give you 40 or 50 goals. So. I think six, five weeks is a bit too long though. I don't think he does it over five weeks. Yeah, I, I could see him I could see him doing that. If it was I say, could see him if it was twenty over three maybe. He's the type of guy I could see going like, you know, eight, six, eight, four, four, for instance. So Yeah. I mean other than that, you Well we asked the question I mean, about who's gonna win the Coleman before. Yeah. It's obviously gonna be I something mean like Travis that. Travis Cloak's never been a guy who's kicking massive bags. Josh Kennedy's an outside yeah. chance if he plays close to goal, but as I said, I'm not sure that that will be the role that he plays all the time. Um, we did say that he does beat up on the Minnows, on the minnows. once the West. Well, Coast, like, yeah. yeah, whenever he sees the Western Bulldogs come to town, he knows it's he's in for a good time, so um, 17 goals in his last two games against them, so um, yeah, I think that they're really That's the only, it, yeah, they're really, they're really the only candidates. Unless Collingwood go ballistic and Travis Cloak just gorges on yeah, someone. he's not, he's, but you know, he's, he's, because his kicking can be a little bit shaky at times, he's probably going to need to get 12 or 13 shots of goal to get those, mm. to get those things. So, he's a chance, but, um, There really yeah. isn't anyone else, for the same reason that, um, the Collingwood medal was yeah. won with one of the lowest totals in years last season, yeah. so... Same sort of thing. All right, I can very easily answer this question for GJ. The question was, which player do you love to hate the most? I'm just going to type in Hayden Ballantyne. And yeah. We'll move right along <laughs> to question number 53. Fucking Frodo is I like to call him. See, I, yeah. try, I tried to hold back the vitriol. But yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> safe that's a, that's a safe answer. Stephen Milne is in the same ballpark for me. Maybe not quite as elevated as uh, as Ballantyne. Um, I, I must admit, I get pissed off hearing everybody talking about Stevie J all the time as well. The mercurial, the mercurial Steve, Steve Johnson. Steve Johnson. Um, I, I mean, I'm not a. I'm, for other reasons, I'm not a big fan of Chris Judd. Um, See, the love to hate me though. I don't really think. Oh, I love. love hate, yeah. Hate no, but I think yeah. I have to give Ballantyne credit in a in a in a stat field. He's found a way to elevate his performance. So let's uh, let's run with Ballantyne and move on to the next yeah, question. It's disappointing, really. Israel Folau would have been a shoo-in for that. <laughs> Too bad he jumped ship. Okay. Who will be the bargain buy of, and I'm going to read this question verbatim, the 2012 drafts? Yes. Is, so is that correct then? The ones All drafts. From, yep, from last year. Okay. So before the ste- before the season started, so the, the, the last set of drafts, 2012. Yeah. Is there, isn't there a draft before this season? Yes, but that's considered the 2012 draft because it happened oh. in 2012. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. Yeah. What is it called? A pre-season draft? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um... 
Baden by. Well, Port Adelaide, uh, sorry, Melbourne's number one pick is getting big raps at the moment. Uh, Jimmy Tumpas. They reckon he's going to be a bit of a star this season. Um, is, is he a bargain when he's a number one pick? <laughs> God. First, he expects me to know about who's drafted, then he expects me to know the ones who aren't drafted near the top. <laughs> so, I, I think that there's two guys, and I'm using a little bit of liberty with one of the one of the definitions because he was a basically a throwaway at the last minute. Um, Collingwood giving up pick 71 for Jordan Russell. I think uh, we talked about that a bit earlier on. Uh, Russell will allow them to release guys like Keith, <laughs> Heath Shaw out of the um, release out of the, the Kraken. Yeah. Release the release the shore out of the uh, the half back line into to a more creative role through their midfield. I think he'll be one that they the other one who I think um, will be a, a good pick up. He he might not play too much so early, but I think as the year goes on, he'll play well. And he's actually had a really good preseason. Is Ricky Pettit, who was picked up by Richmond. Richmond? I, yep. Yeah, I actually rate Pettit. Um, I think that in the right role, which is more as a a floating half back type guy who runs and carries through the line. I think that that's a role that he's better suited for. I think Melbourne were playing him out of position, so uh, they're they're my two that I would uh, that I would go with. Right. Well, am I allowed to just nominate Jack Viney purely because he went at pick twenty six, courtesy the father son rule? You can say that. But that you're, you're using a little bit of liberty, but yeah, I'm thinking maybe pick forty and above. And uh, Collingwood's um, Collingwood's rookie, whose name escapes me, the mature age rookie that they picked up oh, in the rookie yeah. draft. Um, yeah, is also um, Johnson, but it's a Dwyer. He's uh, he's another one who they they apparently have big reps on, and of course. I talked about him being a ball butcher, but I think that Kane Mitchell will be really good for um, for Port Adelaide to have around their team. Oh yes, yeah, Sam Dwyer. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, it is Sam Dwyer. Yeah. Apologies. I was thinking of Ben Kennedy. Right. Well, the one I will throw in the mix is the guy who, for for a little while there, it looked like he might be a chance of stealing Todd Goldstein's spot as the number one ruckman at North Melbourne. That was Dan Curry. Mm. Uh, it looks like Goldstein will end up um, getting selected for round one, but, I mean, that speaks volumes for his performance during the pre-season, that he's yeah being talked about as potentially the new number one ruckman there. And you think he'll get games during the year as well, so, yeah. Yeah. So, look, it's an answer. That's enough. <laughs> Moving on. Okay. Now, we did ask before about a single on-field rule that you could change in the AFL. Um, and was that the one for which I nominated the, the goal review system? Yes, you did. So perhaps I should have saved that for this one, which is off the field rule. Yeah. Because the problem with the goal review system happens as soon as they take it off field. Yes. <laughs> so to speak. That's where the shit collides with the fan. Um, yeah. In terms of other off the field rules, look, I think the one I might go with here is just let's have a recognition that tanking does happen, that the system is in place in order to encourage encourage tanking and that they need to close that you know that well not loophole so much but they need to remove the um, the incentive that teams have towards the end of the season to not win games which they've tried to do now but yeah there's I think there's still ways to go on that I've got two. I want I want the match review panel scrapped because the guys don't know what the hell they're doing there. It's yeah. wildly inconsistent, and they need to take that completely back to the drawing board. And I'm assuming Geishan's getting sent to a gulag yeah, as, let's, as part of that process. Let, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do that yep. too while we're at it. 
cool, cool. Um, and the second one is I'd like them to institute a rule that allows teams to trade future draft picks because I think that teams not being able to negotiate a deal that's right or fair or equitable in many situations is inhibiting some trades from happening. Mm. The, the, yeah, I mean, the other one that I just thought of, and this is something I've only started reading about and understanding recently, but it's the requirement of the AFL that clubs spend a minimum of 95% of their budgets each it season. Used to only that, be 92 and a half, and it's gone up in recent times. I mean, that is straight from the IPL model of spending money for the sake of spending money, and how on earth they can possibly justify having that legislated as a rule of the sport is, is just beyond me. I find that staggering. Yeah, but anyway. So there we go. See, I do know some relatively <laughs> complicated things, just not who got picked after pick 40 in the re- pre-season draft. Okay, my career peaked last year. Who am I? I'll very quickly answer this. Brad Sewell, purely because he had a very, very good season, you know, from rounds 1 through 23 or 24 or whatever it is these days. And then he played out of his skin in the final series. He actually won the, the award for Hawthorne's best player throughout the finals and I'm afraid that yeah at his age now I don't think he will be able to achieve that level of performance across the entire season again. I'm going to take two first-time All-Australians who I don't think will ever be All-Australians again. Ted Richards. Teddy Richards? Oh, we've got uh, to have a Paul Ruse soundbite here, surely. Yeah. Um, the Teddy Richards-style player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think he's he's one. Um, and the other one's Bo Waters. And I, it's not necessarily a reflection of Bo Waters' ability. I think that's more. it's more a reflection on how Bo Waters plays and his body in general. In fairness. I mean, he had, he's basically, he's been in All-Australian last year for the first time, pretty much because it's one of the first times he hasn't gotten injured, so... In fairness, he did miss a few games last year. He missed, well, he got injured in the, he, he got injured in, he missed a couple and he got injured in the, uh, in the, in the first semi against North Melbourne, so, but the fact that he was relatively injury-free is, is very rare for him. <laughs> Can't bank on that happening again. Yeah. Well, I, Jack, I, Jack Grimes, you could very well say for the same reason then. But uh, Jack Grimes is a bit younger than Bo Waters is, so... Yeah, but still, based on his injury record, I mean... So, yeah. But um, they're the two who I'm going with. Teddy Richards, speaking of using nicknames, mm. thank you, Ruzi. And uh, Bo Waters for me. Yeah. All right, so I just checked Yeah, So he played 19 last year, so for him that's pretty good. All right, we're in the final stretch here. Don't start singing Final Countdown again, all right? We've done that already and it wasn't funny the first time. So, following on from the uh, the guys whose careers peaked last season, we're moving on to the ones who it's make or break time for them this season. This is it, the brass ring. Um, I've got three, and they're for very different reasons. First one, Bryce Gibbs. Mick Malthouse isn't going to let Bryce Gibbs hide behind the ball. He's going to throw him in the midfield. And he's going to make him or expect him to stand up. And um, it's, it's going to be really important for Bryce that he actually does that. Because if he doesn't, he could be in a little bit of trouble, i.e. looking for a new home. The second one, um, well, there's probably two guys who, who this relates to. I'm the tall forwards of the Western Bulldogs, namely Jared Grant and Liam Jones. One of those guys has to stand up this year at some stage because without that happening, the Western Bulldogs are in are going to be 
be in a world of pain moving forward. Mm. It's not that those guys don't have the ability, it's whether they've got the ability between the years to uh, <laughs> to do it. Jared Grant in particular, I think, he has to be on his last chance this year. The third and final guy, I've, I've alluded to this one earlier, Hawthorne captain Luke Hodge. Um, he's barely played the last couple of years. You'd, you'd have to think that if it turns out the same this year, it could well be all over. Mm, so that's more make or break just through injury rather than yes. performance then. That's right. Yeah. Look, it's another tough question. Um, I mean, the obvious answer would have been Israel Folau, but unfortunately he's already <laughs> he's, he's, broken. he's already made a break for it before yeah. the season started. Um. The one look, I'll I'll throw this out there purely because his underperformance has somehow gone unpunished in previous years, and that just is Ryan Schoenmakers, just on the basis of them having Brian Lake and Josh Gibson both in that side now. There's look, there's more scope for them to drop him. If they had wanted to drop him, they could have done so a number of times. So I don't expect that he'll spend yeah any sort of extended period outside the, the best twenty-two. But I think he really does need to start showing that he's developed and matured as a defender. And to give him his credit, when I saw him during the NAB Cup, I barely recognised him. Mm. He, he does look like he's put on a lot of muscle in his arms and upper body this year. Mm. So hopefully with that, yeah, upper body strength comes, well, just less show-and-makers-ness. Let's go with that. Okay, so having, in one of the previous quarters, put together a, a god-awful commentary team, the likes of which we hope never goes to air, we're going to go the, uh, the happier route now and say, if you had to pick the best commentary team across the AFL, who would it be? Um, for me, straight away, the first two Dennis. names are Kometi and McAvaney. I'm going to steer away from McAvaney. I'm going to have Kometi leading the call and having maybe a bit more special comments in there. I just, I think that the interplay between um, Kometi and McAvaney, though, is such an important part of it, it's and a, it's something that none of the other commentator teams have. It's a little bit cliched. The one I was actually surprised a couple of times last year when when McAvaney was off at the Olympics and Kometi was working with his boy Baz. They actually. <laughs> I actually found You're that boy, was, I found that to be just as good as Kometi and McAvaney, so I, I'm of the belief that it might well be Kometi and pretty much anybody, and that might work. But um, I've got well, that's it. Doesn't that, all that says to me is that Kometi can make anyone look serviceable. Well, that's right. So it doesn't really matter who you put with. Yeah. Um, so there it is. It's Dennis Kometi and anyone else. That's right. <laughs> The three yeah. who I've selected is because uh, I've, I've picked Jason Dunstall, which might be a bit controversial for some people, particularly Hawthorne supporters, because there's the belief that perhaps he gets stuck into them a little bit more than he should. But Dunstall will call a spade a spade, which that's I think ex- is really ex- important. The exact phrase I was going to use for it. Yep, that's exactly you, right. You need that. I want somebody who actually has really good insights into the game with regards to, I guess, strategies and the like that teams are doing and can actually predict, project and predict what's going to happen based on what he's seeing. And I think that Jared Healy does that better than, than anybody else. So Healy's my third one. Mm-hmm. And just for the laughs, I've got Matty Richardson with those three guys. Who I actually think M- would may be... I ask why? <laughs> <laughs> I just think having Richo Boundary side would be good for some laughs. So, so you mean if Brett Kirk was still available, you would have gone? Yeah, him? absolutely. Yeah. I would have gone with Brett the comic Kirk. relief guy. Yeah. So yeah. provide a little bit of light entertainment, sitting on the edges there. Look, fair enough. Um, look, I, I'll, as I say, I'm sticking with Kometi and McAvaney tried and tested. 
The other ones I'll throw in there are um, David Schwartz, who I have no idea what he's doing these days. He yes. may not even be SEN. He does. He does do some. But I, he I think it's SEN. He does. He does the games in Melbourne for one of the radio stations. Mm. But while Comedy and McAvaney are taking care of the serious business, David Schwartz can always be relied upon to come up with sensational two or three word just bang descriptions of events that are being replayed on the screen at the time. Mm. So it's more, yeah, comic relief, but also, he, yeah, he tends to summarise things very quickly and then move on, which is probably because they wanted to give Bucks more speaking time <laughs> when he was around. Um, and the fourth one, and this probably shows that I don't really have anyone I really want in there, is Tom Harley, purely because every word he says sounds like it's being uttered with a massive grin over his face. So, you know, just... Helps bring the smile back to the bit commentary of, uh, team. Bit of showing happy people. Exactly. Style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the sort of thing we're after. So he doesn't actually, you know, have to commentate at all, but just just enough so that we can be reassured that he's grinning away up there. Yeah. <laughs> Cheshire cat style. Okay, we are down to the fi- yeah we are down to the final two questions. There's one about Melbourne and tanking, and there's one about starting a team from scratch. So. I think I'm, I'm going to get somehow, the... Uh, yeah. Somehow interrelated, you yeah. so. Too bad we didn't have the team from scratch and the Essendon drug controversy yeah. run together, but... Hey, I'm, Dan, whatever it takes. Yeah. I'm going to get the Melbourne tanking one out of the way first. Yeah. Um, what should the punishment have been for Melbourne with regards to tanking? Like, my initial immediate response, I should say, is that there should have been an official recognition that Melbourne did tank, which yes. is the one thing that failed to come out of that entire six-month-long bloated investigation. Well, I think the funniest part about it all is, is that nobody actually knows what tanking is. <laughs> well, be, just just be no one who was on the investigation right, panel. That's right, they were being investigated for something that nobody could define. Mm. So I don't know what they were expecting to get out of that as an outcome, but... Uh, Ridicule? Yeah. Look, I think if you if you take it into context, is that they they banished Chris Connolly from their um, from their operations for twelve months, which any Fremantle person can tell you will only be good for the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've somehow caught Adelaide in the crossfire. This was like a, um, a two-for-one offer. Yeah. They tried to pair it up with the, um, yeah. the Kurt Tippett That's punishment right. so as well. That was a bit crazy. And they find them $500,000 worth of money that the AFL would be paying them anyway. So they kind of didn't really get punished at all when you think about it, what it was. And that's probably about what it should have been. Nothing. Really? There was no reason why... The AFL created the crappy rules with regards to it. The, AF, the AFL... to admit that fact. Yeah, the, the AFL created the incentive for, for clubs to... To lose. ...leverage those crappy rules. So, yeah, they should... As far as I'm concerned, they should not have been punished at all. Yeah. So, and if we did have to come up with some punishment, I'd say, yeah, it's more a requirement that Chris Connolly is their head coach for the next four years. I was going to say, if you've watched Melbourne play over the past couple of years, that's punishment enough. So... <laughs> Yeah, and that Cameron Schwab will have his <laughs> yeah. yeah his next decade spent at the helm. Um, no, look, as I say, I I think yeah, all that we re- really were hoping for, and we knew it probably wouldn't happen, was just an official acknowledgement that they yeah. had tanked, and that didn't happen. So yeah. tanks for nothing, boys. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm sorry, listeners. I let him just <laughs> walk right into that one, didn't I? Alrighty, 
The final question is, if you are starting a team from scratch, yes. you can take all the players with a particular Guernsey number. Yes. So all the number ones. Yes. So you'll get two Mitch Browns for the price of one there. For instance. All the number twos, all the threes. Yeah. All you the might not want to collect all the number twos, but yes. There. All the 59s, that'll get you strawny and no one else. Which number do you choose? Nine. And not even thinking twice about it. Give you an idea of who you'd get with nine. You'd get yourself the All-Australian starting ruckman from last year, Nick Nanui. You get Rory Sloan. You get Gary Ablett. You get Trent Cotchin. You get Brendan Goddard. Goddard! James Kelly. Uh, Jack Trengove at Melbourne. Sean Burgoyne. Oh, come on. There's got to be at least one shit Andrew, player there. Andrew Swallow. Matt DeBoer. Um, I really there's, there's there's quality almost at every single club. I really... Even somebody like Kane Lucas at Carlton, he's not exactly horrible. Marty Clark at Collingwood, he's not exactly horrible. I have to ask, why wouldn't you let me answer that question first, given that you've just <laughs> you've just shut the gate with that? How am I supposed to respond to that? I agree, how about that? <laughs> I think GJ's made a fairly compelling case there. You know, it's not exactly a lock, but <laughs> pretty fucking close to it. Um, the one I would go, though, just off the top of my head, and this is because you'd also get Shane Warne and Michael Jordan uh, signing up for a membership, would be the 23 team. Because at the very least, then, I'd get Darren Glass, I'd get Buddy Franklin, I'd get a couple of other half-decent players who I can think of off the top of my head, but to get Glass, Franklin, Chris Main, Chris Main, Lockie Henderson at Carlton, who's not a bad defender either. You get Lewenberger, assuming he went on the park. David Myers isn't horrible. You get Josh Caddy at Geelong. Is that enough? Isn't Daniel Jackson 23 for Richmond as he well? Is. There you go. See, that's enough. That's enough to sell that argument. I get my namesake in my team. And Darren Glass, my favourite player. Enough said. <laughs> So you're locking it in. Yeah, let's go with that. Lock in, 23. Yeah. Well, I hear the final siren. Well, maybe not. Really? I I don't hear it. Oh, okay. I'm metaphorical, right? Yeah. Cool. Well, there it is. 60 questions, maybe 40 or so coherent answers. (laughs) Hey, we're we're improving. What can I say? 12 decent segues and GJ once once singing the theme to the final countdown, which unfortunately brought down the overall quality of the podcast significantly. (laughs) I think that's about enough for this one. Yeah, I think so. So, until next time. Later, skaters. Later, Hazen.